0: Welcome to H.O.W.C. Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. To learn more about our ministry, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. In Jeremiah chapter 32, we come to one of the last prophetic acts and declaration performed by the prophet Jeremiah. He had been preaching for years, decades even, that there was a judgment coming upon the nation, that God had blessed them. He had brought them out of Egypt. He had given them a promise, and they were supposed to steward it and follow his instructions. But once they got the promise, they forgot him. They got so distracted by it, they began eventually to act just like those that they were meant to actually be an influence and a witness against. So that God had to come and bring judgment to humble them, to bring them back to repentance. He couldn't use the current system to bring the revival that was needed because they didn't rightly represent him. They didn't even know how far off they had gotten from his words, character, and instruction. Yet was God not willing to give up on them? He had given a promise. He had made a covenant and he was going to fulfill it. How would he do this? He would have to tear some things down and start over from scratch. They weren't going to get to their revival until first there was reformation. And you can't have reformation until first there is a deconstruction of what's been built upon the old foundations. So Jeremiah prophesies that the Chaldeans are coming and they're going to attack and Israel is going to fall to them. God is not going to defend them. Against this, because his hand is in it, he has allowed it to happen. He has stopped restraining it. The Bible tells us that it is because of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. God is our great shield and defender. We need him daily to be our strength, our provision, and our protector. But if we choose to reject him or to neglect him days without end, if we choose to misrepresent him or give our allegiance to other spirits, then eventually he will step back. He will stop restraining. He will say, okay, if you trust that, then I'll show you what it's like for that to be your master. And he'll let it come in and overpower so that we can see that we really don't want this thing, that God is a good king and that his instructions are given for a reason, for our own protection, for our good, and for the good of others through us when we follow his leading. So Jeremiah had prophesied this, and of course, all of Israel hated him for it. No, God will defend us. No, this will never happen. No, we can't fall. We are the apple of God's eye. We are too important. And so we come to chapter 32, where we're starting. He had been imprisoned because he had prophesied what the Lord had told him would happen. They didn't like it. They didn't want to hear it. They put him in prison for it. And as he sat in this prison, the very things that he had been prophesying for 25 years started happening. The enemy was at the gates. The military leaders knew that they would be defeated. There was no way they could stop this enemy short of divine intervention, and it didn't seem like God was going to give it. So while in all of the good years, Jeremiah preached this hard message that nobody believed could possibly happen, All of a sudden, everything was shaken and was in chaos, and it began to happen, and his message shifts. He starts prophesying blessings, good things, hope, encouragement. The revival is still coming. All of this has a purpose, which, of course, they don't listen to him any more than they did before. They think he's crazy. And then the Lord comes to him yet again and gives him a very strange instruction he tells him to buy a field now paint the picture in your head and try to understand the setting in which this is happening jeremiah has been preaching for years that the nation will be destroyed and that the chaldeans will come in and take over everything will burn it to the ground will make it desolate and waste will take the people away into captivity jeremiah is in prison And the Lord tells him, buy a field in this land. So we'll pick up in verse 6. It says, And Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Behold, Hanamuel, the son of Shalem, thine uncle, shall come unto thee, saying, Buy thee my field, that is in Anathoth, for the right of redemption is thine to buy it. Now, I love when I read things in the Old Testament to read it with a Strong's Concordance. And if you don't know what that is, it's basically a Bible dictionary that gives you the original word that was there in the Hebrew in the Old Testament or in the Greek in the New Testament and a full definition of what that word meant in the time and in the culture because these things were translated and sometimes you can't get an exact translation of the word and so you can get more meaning by looking these things up in their original language. But more than that, when you're dealing with names They always had meaning in the Bible. God always gave people and places names that were very important and very often, they add an extra layer of revelation to the story. So this Hanemiel, this is Jeremiah's cousin. His name means God is gracious. God says that he's gonna come and ask you to buy his field. The word translated to buy there means to take possession of, to take ownership, To claim your legal right to the land, to the territory that God has given by way of inheritance. Jeremiah had the right of redemption over it. Therefore, it was family land. It was his. He was the redeemer of it. And God was going to make sure that it went back into the hands of the man that he had ordained for it. In this very act that seemed so counterintuitive, where it looked like God was giving the land into the hands of the heathen, the Chaldean. The Chaldeans throughout the ages, even in the New Testament, were synonymous with demons. In actuality, God was reclaiming the territory and giving the land back into the hands of the righteous. This is what Jeremiah had prayed for. This is what so many had prayed for, for generations. This is what Jeremiah's family had prayed for and fought for, for generations. Where was this field located? In Anathoth. What does Anathoth mean? It means answers to your prayer. I think that it's important also to know that though this land truly did belong to Jeremiah through inheritance and through the right of redemption, still he had to buy it. He had to take an action in order to take ownership of it. He had to trade something. He had to make a legal purchase. Even though God has an inheritance, you could be like Esau who willingly forfeits it, but you can also lose it by complacence laziness, inaction, or acquiescence. My friend, you better get on your knees and start praying and proclaiming. You better fight for the territory, even if it's yours, even if it's family land, even if it's a promise from God. You still have to possess it. Because what we refuse to possess will go to another. The enemy always steps in to the authority that we give up. In fact, that's the only way that the enemy can take a territory because the power of God is stronger than the enemy. We are the children of the kingdom and we have been given authority. We as human beings have been given dominion over creation. The only way that the enemy can step in and take a territory is if we relinquish the authority. That we have been given. Jeremiah had a right to this land. But he still had to take an action in order to stand up and possess it. He had to take ownership from its previous owner. And he had to have enough faith in the provision and faithfulness of God to fulfill his promises and covenants in order to do it. Even though it didn't seem worth it in the moment. Oh, my friend, if God has given you a promise, you better not lose hope for it. So how do we purchase our field? Well, you're going to have to seek the Lord for that. I always like to say that prayer is the currency of heaven. In the earth, money is how you get things done. But in the spirit, in the heavenly realms, prayer is what makes things happen. So pray without ceasing. I can remember times in my life where God had told me things that were going to happen and in the moment it was absolutely impossible. But I took a step of faith and did something or purchased something to prepare for that thing even before I could see any possibility of it coming to fruition. I was buying a field. If God has promised you children But you're barren, get something for them, get a Bible that you can journal in and start reading it and leaving notes for them by a field in preparation. By a field. If God has promised you a godly spouse, then start a dowry. For me, as crazy as this may seem, I can remember a time when my husband and I were still friends. We were not married or even dating yet. We had not even discussed the idea of it. But I knew prophetically the Lord had already showed me that he was the one that I was supposed to be with. But I hadn't said anything. I was waiting for the Lord to reveal that to him personally. But we had been friends for many years. We knew each other very well. And we had done work together in ministry Well, we were talking one day and he made the statement that he was interested in this camera, a very expensive camera that really he couldn't afford, that he wanted to be able to use for the church, for media ministry and my dad's ministry at that time. So he and I together split the cost and went in on the camera. Now, for me, this was an easy and safe investment. I knew we would be married one day. It would belong to both of us anyway. But in essence, I was taking an act and an action in faith. I was buying a field that God would later make fruitful because now together we run a studio, a business, and a ministry in media. So that act of faith was a seed planted, a declaration, an agreement with a covenant that God set in motion, a field purchase that would later bear fruit and bring a harvest. That's what Jeremiah was doing. He was proving that he believed the word that God had spoken. God told Jeremiah that he had the right of inheritance and the law of redemption so that he should buy this field. That he had a right to purchase it. Or it might be better to say that he had a duty to redeem it. So let me explain to you really quick how redemption worked in the old patriarchal systems. You had a patriarch, a head of a family. He owned all of the land and handled all of the resources. His children, his servants, his close family, they all lived on the land and did the work of the family trade together. If land was lost, if it was sold, if someone was stolen, if someone went into slavery, if someone did something crazy and lost everything or themselves. It was the patriarch's job to take whatever resources he had available to him and go out and redeem them back into the family again and also to keep that family land within the family because God had given the 12 tribes certain territories and it was up to them to hold it, to possess it until the fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham. In this way would God keep Abraham's descendants in the land that was promised to them until God himself comes with New Jerusalem to finish the covenant. Whatever God had assigned, he expected those tribes to hold, to possess, to occupy. So that when he tells Jeremiah that he has the right of redemption, he's telling him, don't give up the land, don't forget the covenant. And don't lose hope for God's fulfillment of it. This territory will be taken. It's just going to happen in a very unlikely way. Because in actuality, it may have seemed like the Israelites owned the land, the territory, but really they didn't because the spirits, the same spirits that were in the Chaldeans were controlling them. Therefore, the land was being controlled by the enemy. So God was going to purify it. He was going to show them what it's like to be under the leading of these spirits. The Chaldeans come in, they destroy everything, but God's going to cleanse it. God's going to fix it. God's going to resurrect it. He is the God of redemption and restoration. And one of the last prophetic declarations that he delivers through Jeremiah is this message that even through judgment, there is always a work of redemption. We continue. Jeremiah says, remember what we read before was what the Lord told him would happen. And now we have Jeremiah recounting that what the Lord said would happen does happen. So Jeremiah says, Hanamiel, mine uncle's son, Came to me in the court of the prison, according to the word of the Lord, and said unto me, Buy my field, I pray thee, that is in Anathoth, which is in the country of Benjamin. For the right of inheritance is thine, and the redemption is thine. Buy it for thyself. Buy it then for thyself. Then Jeremiah said, I knew that this was the word of the Lord. So again, I like to look back at the meanings of these words for that second level of revelation. Remember, Hanamio means God's graciousness. He visits him in the prison. God's graciousness came to meet Jeremiah in his prison season. He had been faithful to do the work of the Lord. He had been rejected and abused for it. He had been imprisoned. He was in the middle of a city that was about to be besieged by the enemy that he had been warning them was coming for decades and they did not believe him. And in this prison, God's graciousness comes to him. His cousin owned this field. That means he got it from his dad which was Jeremiah's uncle, who would have gotten it from his dad, which would have been Jeremiah's grandfather. So that we understand that at one time, this land that is in question belonged to Jeremiah's grandfather. Therefore, it was an inheritance to him. It was family land, and Jeremiah was being called to redeem it. Is there a family member that has been lost that the Lord is putting on your heart that you are being called to fast, to pray, to intercede for, to redeem? Is there a mission that was part of your family's history? Is there something that your grandparents prayed for? I love that in Kuri Timboon's story, she was an amazing woman of God who saved many Jews during the time of the Holocaust. She was eventually captured and put into the concentration camps. She did great ministry while she was within them, and by a miracle of God, she survived them, came out, and continued to do ministry for the rest of her life. She would tell the story of how her father and grandfather had prayed for years for the salvation of the Jews, for opportunity to minister to them, to help and to bless them. Two generations later, their granddaughter in the very same house that they held prayer meetings to pray for the Jews in, they were able to hide them, feed them, and get them out to safety. They were able to fulfill the mission. There was an inheritance, and she claimed it. For some of you listening, there is ministry in your family. There is a territory that needs to be taken. There is a fight That your parents and grandparents fought in the spirit and you are being called to buy that field, to possess that land, and to do the work of redemption. Maybe your family were business owners. Maybe they were reputable in your community. Maybe they worked as unto the Lord and maybe they didn't. Regardless, that is a territory that God wants to put into the hands of the righteous. Maybe your family were politicians. Maybe they were in ministry. Maybe they were teachers or ran a charity. It's all territory. It's your family's field. Buy it. Because the turnaround is coming. The time of rebuilding. You have a place in it. Claim it for you and for your children. For some of you, there's something that the Lord has called you to do, a position to fill in order to be an influence in the earth until the kingdom of God be fully revealed in all of its glory at the return of Jesus. Yes, God calls people into godly businesses and not just ministry. He calls godly politicians and leaders. He calls us to hold different territories and many of them or inherited. Maybe they went into the wrong hands who didn't do anything with it, or maybe misused it. I mean, it kind of seemed like Jeremiah's cousin was losing the land. Usually that was the reason that they would call upon the right of redemption was because they couldn't keep it and they didn't want to lose it. So they were willing to give it up to someone who could better hold it. Nathan Morris, the great international healing evangelist, often said that the blessings and the miracles and the grace and power of God on his ministry had very little to do with him, but that it came because of the years of prayer and intercession and faithfulness of his parents, who were ministers also. It was an inheritance. It was a promise that was given to his parents, and he purchased the land. As a minister, I have seen this so many times, that when a person doesn't walk in the calling that God has on their lives, It will go to the next generation. And it might go to three or four generations and they might all pass it by until one has the faith to believe what God says and purchases the land. The law of inheritance in the scripture was meant to keep the land in the possession of the children of Abraham until God finished the work of fulfilling his covenant to him. There was a purpose in it. God had made a promise and he was going to fulfill it. But not everyone is willing to walk out their part in it. So that in every family, God places a patriarch willing to do the work of redemption. But more specifically, Jeremiah being asked to do this at a time when the land as a whole was about to be taken over by the enemy was a bold statement to everyone watching. Remember that Jeremiah is in prison in the house of the leaders of Israel. There are important people there that will witness what he is doing. This is all happening in the courtyard. Many are seeing it. It was a bold statement by him to decree and to declare not only with his words, but with his actions that God was in control and that all of this destruction was only temporary. God would humble and purge. And purify. But then he would reform. Revive. And restore. To better than before. That this judgment was not meant to end them. That God had not given up on them. But rather that this judgment was meant to further God's promises to them. To push them closer to it. To prepare them to possess it to take the land out of the hands of the selfish, prideful, arrogant, rebellious, and wicked, and transfer it into the hands of the righteous. What God had Jeremiah do was a similitude. It was a covenant enacted that what he did would happen in mass to the nation. Therefore, what they were facing was not hopeless. The territory was actually being reclaimed by the righteous, even if it looked like it was being lost to the enemy in the moment. God truly does work in mysterious ways, but they are perfect. He knows what he is doing, and he keeps his promises, always, and his covenants, unto a thousand generations. In verse 9, we continue, Jeremiah saying, And I bought the field of Hanemiel, my uncle's son, that was in Anathoth, and weighed him the money, even seventeen shekels of silver. Jeremiah being given this land and the promise that it would be returned to his righteous lineage to possess it was an answer to prayers, prayers that had been prayed even before the time of his prophesying of this coming judgment because God never delights in judgment. He delights in mercy, but sometimes it must come because that it becomes less merciful to continue to tarry and allow people to go to hell comfortable. Sometimes it's better to shake them, to correct them, if it saves them from damnation and eternal judgment. He purchased the land, and Anathoth, the field, was in a place literally called an answer to prayers. God would answer prayers, just not the way that they expected, or maybe that they thought that he should, but he is God and we are not. He did it the way that was actually most effective. He is in the business of saving souls. After all, and this act and declaration was to remind everyone, Jeremiah, I'm sure, not least among them, that it was not hopeless that all they were going through was going to get them to what the righteous had been praying for, Jeremiah's own family, among them, for generations. The righteous were inheriting the land. It would be used for God's purposes, again. Generations would continue to do God's work in it. This was not the end. It was just a purification. God just had to clear the stage before he could set it. Revival was coming, but first, reformation. God had torn everything down, but a rebuilding was coming. So Jeremiah bought the field as a prophetic declaration, an act of faith, and a witness of this before all that were in the court of the prison, in the house of the leadership of Israel while it was falling. Verse 10 And I subscribed the evidence and sealed it, and took witnesses, and weighed him the money in the balances. So I took the evidence of the purchase, both that which was sealed according to the law and custom, and that which was open. And I gave the evidence of the purchase unto Baruch, the son of Neriah, the son of Messiah, in the sight of Hanamiel, mine uncle's son. And in the presence of the witnesses that scribed the book of the purchase, before all the Jews that sat in the court of the prison. And I charged Baruch before them, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these evidences, this evidence of the purchase, both which is sealed and this evidence which is open, and put them in an earthen vessel, that they may continue many days. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. Baruch, who was a witness of all of this, his name means blessed. Those who witnessed this action, this declaration, this similitude, this witness, blessed the ones that perceived it and received it into their spirit that God will reform, that he will answer prayers, is anything too hard for our God. So when it seems to get all the more impossible, that's all right. He knows the end from the beginning. He knew from the moment that he spoke it what would happen. Over and over as you continue to read the rest of this chapter, we are reminded In the declaration that says is anything too hard for god he can do it and he will he would have never let the trial come in the first place the furnace of affliction would have never been lit if he did not know that it would do its work of purification he will do this and he did And he will do it time and time again through the generations because he did it for the good of future generations. The land was purchased. The deed was buried. The claim was made. The inheritance stayed in the hands of the righteous men that God had ordained to possess it. And it would be preserved. For future generations. Seventy years, the nation went into captivity, but eventually revival came. A generation arose that came back humble, repented, submitted, and ready to do the work of the kingdom. God did bring revival through Nehemiah and Ezra But first, he had to bring a reformation. And before he could bring reformation, there had to be a deconstruction, which is never easy. But don't lose your faith. God knows what he's doing, and he will keep his promises. In verse 39, Jeremiah prophesies of the generations that will come back to possess this inheritance, that God will give them one heart and one way, that they may fear me forever for the good of them and of their children after them you see what god does he does for the good not just for us but for generations to come and in our selfishness we want things to always be easy but that's not always the best course of action if it makes people complacent in their sins error and rebellion We have to be willing to say, Lord, whatever it takes, even if you've got to shake this nation to its core, take the land out of the hand of the unrighteous and prepare the ground for a harvest for future generations. So, my friend, whatever it is that God has called you to do, Whatever legacy he has placed upon your family. And if your family has been ungodly for generations, then let the legacy start with you. That's what happened with Abraham. His dad was an idol builder, but he chose to take a stand for God. And so the legacy began with him. Regardless, it still affected the future generations. It still brought future generations into godly covenant. But if there is something that your family, that your church that your community or tribe was called to do, then even if it is not being used for God's glory now in its current state or in this current generation, then, my friend, you are being called to do the work of redemption by the field. Claim the territory. God will deliver. He will fulfill his promises. Is anything too hard for him? Lord, we pray today that you would open our eyes and by revelation of the Holy Spirit that you would let each person listening know what it is that you have called them to do generationally. Because it may have been forgotten for so many generations that they don't even know the mission that they have been commissioned or the territory that they have been given. But you do, Lord, and you can reveal it to them. Rather, it be a work in missions, in charity, in evangelism, in intercession, in casting down powers and principalities and retaking possession of the lands of their inheritance. Wherever we live, wherever our family is, we have a right to take dominion. So we cast down every unclean spirit. Lord, reveal to each person what it is that they need to be fighting against because the land is ours by right, but we have to claim it. Whatever the promise is in our life, remind us of it. Let us take an action, however small it may be. Let us buy a field. God promised Abraham this land. You know what his first action, that gives the children of Israel right to it even to this day, was? He purchased a field with a cave in it to bury Sarah at her death. But he and now all of his generations after him have a legal right to that land because there was a transfer of ownership. Ahab was one of the most ungodly kings in Israel's history. Nevertheless, he did have an inheritance. He had a territory. He had a mighty responsibility and obligation, but he did not possess it. He relinquished his authority, and because of it, Jezebel stepped in and usurped it. Jezebel had no authority of her own. Jezebel did so much damage in Israel, but the only reason she was able to do it is because the one who rightly had the authority over the land Did not use it. And I will tell you this my friend. I have seen it time and time again. That when you give up your inheritance. When you give up your field. Your vineyard. Your purpose. You will then start to envy others. Who are working theirs. And bearing fruit in it. Ahab began to see somebody else's field, somebody else's vineyard. The man's name was Nabat. He began to envy it. He wanted it. He saw the work that he had put into it and how it bore fruit and how it was lovely and beautiful, and he wanted it for himself because he was not willing to do the work to tend to his own vineyard. He wanted what somebody else had. He became envious. He became jealous, and then Jezebel steps in, and he is told, it is not lawful. When a man gets a field by inheritance, he cannot sell it. He has to possess it. It is his land. He has to keep it and tend it. So then Jezebel steps in and she tells Ahab, well, then I will help you get it. And they all ended up with blood on their hands for it. And God's judgment came upon them. This happens all the time in ministry, my friend. If you will not possess the land that God has given into your hand, if you will not do what God has called you to do, if you will not labor in the field that was given to you by your Father in heaven, then you will begin to envy those that did. You will begin to see other ministries and other destinies. And at first you might be inspired by it, but eventually... You'll start to move in envy. You will lie and steal and character kill until you end up with spiritual blood on your hands. The Sunday school teacher that labors in love to build up a class full of eager children. And then the Jezebel that comes in and says, Oh, she seems so beloved. I want that vineyard. And then she slanders and manipulates, and speaks, and discourages until she runs her off and takes that class. And of course, it doesn't last within no time, though she's run all the children off. Everything's fallen apart, and then she abandons it. Because she was never willing to do the work to build that vineyard to begin with. Plus, she had no vested interest in it, because it was not her inheritance. That's just a tiny example. It happens in all levels of ministry, my friend. Anywhere that you see the operation of a Jezebel spirit, you can rest assured that someone neglected their own vineyard and then got envious of the ones who did it. So be mindful. Be vigilant, Be wary of this. So we thank you, Jesus, that you paid the price, that you purchased us with your blood, that you did the work of redemption. You are the ultimate redeemer. But you still choose to continue your work through us. Though you paid the price, we have to claim the land. We have to go and take it, kick the squatters out of it, the usurping spirits, the Chaldeans. Because I decree that the Chaldeans are leaving and we will soon return to planting. In the mighty, unmatchable, unstoppable name of Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. This program was brought to you by HOWC Media Ministries. For more messages like this or information about our ministry, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.